I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we read that, and we'll pay particular attention to what we find in John chapter 3, verse 8. These words, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And after the sermon, we will sing Psalm 143, the stanzas 1, 4, 5, and 6. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we've gathered together to worship and praise the Lord in spirit and in truth. And what we experience on this day touches us deeply and to the core of our emotions. We worship the Father and the Son for sending us the Holy Spirit and making his presence felt intensely among us. We can easily take it for granted. But something amazingly awesome is happening right before us that has its roots in an event that took place many years ago. Fifty days after Christ's resurrection and ten days after his ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit was poured forth on the church according to the promise Jesus made to his disciples. He said in John chapter 16, verse 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. So we need to thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. For if it were not for the Holy Spirit, there would be no church service, no preaching, no faith, no one to give you good news, no one to send you home with the blessing of the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit who works faith in our hearts through the proclamation of the gospel. It is he who instills in us the desire to express our love for the Lord. He gives us the willingness to commit ourselves to God's service as living members of his church. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He guides us in the truth. He equips us for daily service. The Holy Spirit provides us with gifts and moves us to do things we'd otherwise leave undone. And the Holy Spirit needs to work such things in our lives unless we are born again through the renewing power of the Holy Spirit we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So in the life of a believer two births need to take place. The first being physical and the second spiritual. What we read in John chapter 3 speaks of this. 
And it is confessed by the church in Article 35 of the Belgian Confession, where we find these words, those who are born anew have a twofold life. One is physical and temporal, which they received in their first birth and is common to all men. The other is spiritual and heavenly, which is given them in their second birth and is affected by the word of the gospel and the communion of the body of Christ. This life is not common to all, but only to the elect of God. So our first birth gives temporary life, and the second, eternal life. The first birth is a wonderful miracle, and the second, a miraculous mystery. In this morning's text, our Lord Jesus Christ speaks to us about the pattern of the Holy Spirit in regeneration and rebirth. And Jesus uses an illustration of the wind to explain how the Holy Spirit works change and how he renews the hearts of people, people who in themselves are dead sinners. So let's take a look at the question, how does the Spirit work rebirth? And the answer is, is in the blowing of the wind. For like the wind, the Spirit's action is sovereign, his presence is observable, and his ways are mysterious. And that's our theme and the points for the sermon. Jesus speaks about the pattern of the Spirit's work of regeneration during a nighttime conversation that he had with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus to find out more about Christ's message and his method. What does Jesus have to say for himself? How does he view his own ministry? Now, as you know, Nicodemus belonged to the Pharisees. These leaders in Israel occupied their time with studying the Old Testament scriptures yet they knew very little about the necessity and the character of rebirth. They thought one birth of the right kind was quite enough. As long as you were born into the covenant, and as long as you followed what the Lord said in the law, you'd be saved. The Pharisees prided themselves in being children of Abraham members of the people with whom the Lord had established a relationship. To be born a Jew was to be born into the kingdom of God. To put their theology in contemporary language, the Pharisees thought, as long as I am born into the church, follow the customs and the traditions of Reformed church life, live by a moral code of conduct, and publicly profess my faith when everyone else my age is doing it, God will certainly receive me into his kingdom. Even though Nicodemus is a leader in Israel and studies the law and the prophets, he's missing the key to true knowledge. He does not comprehend what Jesus is saying. He doesn't get it. 
When Jesus says to him, unless a man is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless one is born from above, he cannot be saved. The necessity for regeneration that shouldn't have sounded so odd and strange to Nicodemus. Old Testament believers prayed for a new and revived spirit. Think of Psalm 51. They prophesied of the day when the Lord would replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Think of Ezekiel 36. But obviously, this doctrine was not given a high priority among the Pharisees. Now, we can shake our wise, reformed heads and think, well, there go the Pharisees again. But we need to understand that this is something that happens repeatedly throughout church history. When there is a one-sided emphasis on one doctrine, people become confused or are ignorant about some of the most basic truths of Scripture. Jesus says to Nicodemus, debates about theology and following a strict code of ethics will not help you if you are not born again. Nicodemus, unless you are born anew, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is what I am proclaiming in all the signs, in all the wonders that I perform. My miracles underline the message of the gospel I preach. You have to change radically and totally. You have to become a new person with a new heart. Everything has to change in your life, Nicodemus. And that was already the testimony of my herald John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his message. You and all your colleagues have to be born of water and the Spirit. You need a radically new nature. You have to go down to the Jordan, get into the water, just like all those publicans and sinners. You need to confess your guilt and seek your life apart from yourself. Otherwise, you will not see the kingdom that you are talking about. And what is Nicodemus' reaction? Well, he is shocked when Jesus tells him that his natural birth will not save him and that he must be reborn. Here is a man who thinks he has a reserved seat in heaven because of his position as a covenant member. And he is being told by Jesus that he will not even enter the kingdom of heaven, let alone enjoy the blessings of the kingdom unless he is born again. Brothers and sisters, many of us have been born and raised within a covenant family. And we may thank the Lord for the manner in which he displays his faithfulness throughout the generations. 
Yet we may not lean on being raised in a Christian family as the ground for our salvation. We can go through all the rituals but miss or misunderstand the central point of the Christian religion. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You're not saved or chosen by the fact that you were born into the covenant or because you happen to belong to a faithful church. You're not saved by what you do, but by the sovereign power and the work of the Lord. To be born anew is to be born of God. And to be born of God is to be spiritually awakened through the power of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus thinks that his birth alone as a Jew assures him of seeing the kingdom of God. But he must learn that salvation is a sovereign work of God accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes the sovereign saving work of God through his spirit by using the analogy of the wind. And as we know, wind is air in motion. The wind itself cannot be seen. Who has seen the wind? You cannot grab a handful of wind or weigh it on a scale. Yet that does not make it any less real. Sometimes you can feel the power of the wind pushing against your body. Or you can see the clouds in the sky driven along by the force of the wind. Waves crest and create spume. Trees bend because of the power of the wind. But you do not see the wind itself. Wind is a source of energy. Our Lord Jesus Christ says to Nicodemus that the way of the wind is also the way of the Spirit. He is the source of divine energy within us. His work can be noticed, felt, heard, and experienced, but is also sovereign. Like the wind, the Spirit goes where He wishes and does what He wills without being controlled or directed by the hand of people. No one can change the course or the speed of the wind. There's no person on earth who can order wind for a day or who can tell the wind to go fly a kite. The Lord alone is in control of the wind. And this is why Christ's disciples were so stunned when they saw their master able to calm the seas and to reduce the speed of the wind. And the wind of the Spirit operates in much the same way. The Holy Spirit works, but we do not know when, where, or how He works. He's completely sovereign. He sovereignly chooses the people that he will use to effectually and effectively accomplish his purpose. 
The Spirit of God sovereignly decides the means by which his work is accomplished and applied. And history gives ample evidence of the sovereign ways of the Holy Spirit. Why was it, for example, that the Apostle Paul was given permission to preach the the gospel in Macedonia and not Bithynia? Why was it that in the Great Reformation, that it started in Germany, but not in Spain? Why is it today that we have the full gospel of salvation proclaimed to us every Lord's Day? Why is it that as we see the hunger for the gospel decline in many countries in the Western world, that we see the opposite happening in Africa and Asia and other parts of the world. The wind blows where it wills. The sovereignty of the Holy Spirit is not only noticed in the establishment of the church, but also in the lives of individuals. Within the same family, one is taken and another is left. One is touched by the hand of the Spirit, but the heart of another person remains cold and unmoved. God the Holy Spirit may open the heart of one and leave the heart of another shut. What was the difference between Jacob and Esau? They were born into the same family. They received the same education. They had the same promises of the covenant. The Spirit blows where He wills. The Holy Spirit is entirely sovereign when He chooses to open, to do open heart surgery on us, removing the defective heart and replacing it with a new heart. And what a comfort it is to know that the Christian religion finds its roots in the sovereign good pleasure of the Lord. My salvation is secure because I know that God is in heaven and he is both willing and able and ready to show me his grace. It's encouraging to know that our salvation does not depend upon our own efforts. If it did, we'd be forever riding the waves of uncertainty and doubt. And we'd always be making the wrong choices. The sovereignty of God in regeneration and rebirth does not discourage, but it gives us new hope. The gospel of God's sovereign grace that gives courage But at the same time, it is a humbling truth. Preachers may sow and they may water. They may instruct the youth in the doctrine of salvation, but it is the Holy Spirit who must work the desire in the hearts to accept with open arms the precious gospel of life in Christ's name. Parents, can do their utmost to educate their children in the fear of the Lord, but they cannot give them faith. Teachers may provide their students with a top-notch education, but the Holy Spirit must use that education 
for his sovereign purpose. And that may be that it sticks with one and not another. An individual who has joined the church and has left behind relatives who do not know the Lord may desire dearly that his or her parents or brothers or sisters would see the riches of life in Jesus Christ. But it is the Lord who must soften the heart and make the heart receptive. Believers cannot give faith to others, but they are to give evidence that the Spirit is at work in their lives. And that brings us to our second point. For the text continues, the wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear the sound of it. There are many things that we do not know about the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. His ways go beyond our human comprehension. Yet the effects of the Spirit are undeniable. And let us return once more to the image of the wind. Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear the sound of it. One day, breathe in softness and calm, refreshing the earth. Another day can rise to a storm with high winds, leaving a path of destruction and ruin. Christ tells Nicodemus that the pattern of the wind resembles the way the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. The work of the Spirit is observable. The Spirit begins in the heart with an inward cleansing and renewal. Yet it does not remain exclusively inward. You hear the sound of it. His work is evident in the fruit of the Spirit such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Just as the cry of a newborn baby is evidence that the child is alive, one who is regenerated by the Holy Spirit manifests that he or she is alive by what comes forth from their mouths and behavior. But that's not where it ends. A baby will go for regular checkups to a midwife or doctor shortly after he or she is born. But that does not mean that that you do not care whether there are vital signs later on. You don't just hope there might be. And when you are born in the Spirit, you are to see vital signs throughout your life. You're no longer dead in your sins. We have been resuscitated back to life. And the effects of that don't wear off after you have committed your life to the Lord's service or after you have publicly professed your faith. Lazarus was changed when the Lord Jesus brought him back to life. The smell of decay left him and he responded to the voice of the Lord. He no longer remained in the realm of death but came forth 
and stood among the living. And that's why it grieves the Holy Spirit when people in the church claim to know the Lord Jesus but live as though they were dead. Oh, funeral directors can dress you up pretty nice when they place your body in the coffin. But there are no vital signs in a dead corpse. Brothers and sisters, when you are born of the Spirit, you will hear the sound of it in your talk, your work habits, your attitudes, your lifestyle, your eagerness to talk about what it means for you to be alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. It will show up in your life choices, who you marry, how you will seek to to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in being single and in your marriage. It will be seen and heard that you are born of the Spirit in how you respond to adversity and also prosperity. A person who is resurrected from the dead and born again is not slightly different from a dead person, but radically different. And that's the way it needs to be for all of us. The sound of the Spirit must be heard in the life of one who is born of the Spirit. And experiencing this second birth, I leave behind the stench of sin and I strive to live by the grace of God. Others will be able to observe in me that I am alive in the Spirit. I have a holy desire to be done with sin. I have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a longing after God and His communion. I will seek to fill my life with what is good, and I, want, I will want to live as closely as possible to the Word of the Lord in a life of gratitude. I will bend my neck under the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ and things that at one time didn't mean anything become precious to me. I will come to see that my life from start to finish proclaims God's grace in Christ. Brothers and sisters, love the Lord with all your heart. And be committed to his service. Be busy with the book of the Spirit, the Bible. And let the word of Christ shape you. Being born again. That's about being identified with Christ. It means being alive in Jesus. He is your all. The wind of the Spirit blows through the proclamation of the gospel. And such wind is not a lullaby that rocks you to sleep. But it brings about changes. The Spirit renews and the believer begins to love the Lord and his day and his church 
and his word. Where the sound of the Spirit is heard, believers work out what the Lord is working in them. They want to be nourished by the food of his word, not according to their own tastes, but in the manner in which the Spirit himself serves it up to us. And when I am under the influence of the Holy Spirit through the living and abiding word, the sound of the Spirit will be heard coming forth from my lips. I will be overawed by God's amazing grace. And I will fall on my knees and I will say, I am forgiven because you were forsaken. I am accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love. I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. And finally, there is also the element of mystery in the work of the Spirit. For like the wind, you do not know from where it comes or where it goes. Indeed, the way of the Spirit is shrouded in a certain mystery. Who can really figure out his work? The infinite, majestic, divine Holy Spirit dwells in the heart of sinful, finite creatures. He penetrates into the innermost recesses of people. He opens the closed And softens the hard heart. And he instills new qualities into the will. But who can understand his ways? Can you you explain how the Holy Spirit brings to life what was dead? Stubborn? Rebellious? Canons of Dort describe his work as clearly a supernatural, most powerful, and at the same time, most delightful, marvelous, mysterious, and inexpressible work. We cannot trace the exact manner in which the Holy Spirit brings about change. We know what means and avenues the Spirit uses, but how exactly the Lord makes his work effective so that it receives a positive response, is a mystery. What is it that draws us to the Bible and causes it to have control over our souls? Why is it that the words that mean nothing to a spiritually dead person have the power to change and redirect our life to the Lord? Why is it that one person is blessed and enriched by a sermon, whereas it seems to do nothing to the next person and deeply offends a third. Brothers and sisters, it is because the Spirit, like the wind, blows wherever he pleases 
and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know from where it comes or where it goes. You cannot predict the pattern of regeneration or where the Spirit will work next or how he will use you to bring another individual into the kingdom of Christ. You cannot predict when and where the seed of regeneration will germinate and become fruitful. I cannot know beforehand how a message will be received or what effect it will have on you. But for those whose life is in Christ, knowledge of the mysterious ways of the Spirit is sweet. Looking back in retrospect, you see how God was leading you, instructing and correcting you, even though at the time you resent and opposed it. You see it as the Lord's work when you hit rock bottom and when you were made to feel the misery, poverty, and emptiness of life outside the Lord. It was His work that brought you to seek His face. You see it as coming from the Lord that a certain text of Scripture came upon you with explosive power and gave you peace and quietude of heart. Dear friends in Christ, believe with all your heart what has been revealed to you. And let the wind of God's Spirit be heard and seen in your life. Life has to start all over again because of the presence of sin. The Spirit must breathe new life in us. Rebirth is entirely necessary. Well, thanks be to God. The wind of the Spirit of Pentecost blows throughout the earth like a breath of fresh air. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, and so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit.